Uh, my name is David. I'm the site pastor here at Grace Covenant. It's good to see you today. Um, I, I was gone for, for two weeks at grad school. Uh, I'm, in a, I'm in a leadership program at Wheaton, pursuing my master's so that I can be a better man, a better dad, a better pastor. Uh, it's going to require a lot of work that you'll never see and feel. Um, but then uh, this summer and for the next two summers, I'll be gone for two weeks at a time. And um, I want to introduce you to my class and share a little bit of what, what I did before I, before I get into the message today. Um, but uh, yeah, so I just got in. I'm pulling a Pastor Brett. By that, I mean he, he regularly travels in, preaches, and then disappears again. Um, I actually have to be at the Every Nation Pastors Conference in Florida uh, tomorrow. So I'm, I'm basically having lunch with my family and then hopping back on a plane. And everybody's like, why are, you, why are you going back for such a short amount of time? I was like, because I love my people. I was like, I got to see my people. I'm itching. <laughs> I was like, the preaching can be handled. I just want to see you. I just want to see you all. So, um, so like I said, I'm in, th- I'm in this graduate program at Wheaton. Um, we are gonna, I am going to preach a message today, but I want to introduce you to the people. Because in introducing you to the people, it will introduce you to every nation, which is the church, uh, which is the group of churches that our church is associated with. And uh, I think it would just be great for you to see some of their faces because uh, we talk about them regularly. We pray for them. And um, I got to hang out with them for two weeks. So um, the, the first picture is a picture of our class. Uh, right there at the Wheaton College sign. This is most of the people. Um, the uh, gentleman from New Zealand and Australia hadn't made it yet. They had some visa issues getting into the United States. Um, but we have represented nine nations in total in our class of 25 in this cohort. And so we have people from the United States, um, United States, Philippines, Singapore, China, UAE, South Africa, New Zealand, Canada, and Australia. Uh, one of the campus men, or one of the pastors actually grew up in Texas, the great nation of Texas. And so if you want, if that counts as a nation, there are 10. Um, so you can go ahead and change the slide just because I want to talk about it while you're not looking at them. Um, that in that class, there are leaders of, ten, of churches of tens of thousands all the way down to churches that are just starting off and they're, they're relaunching, uh, you know, and all over the world. And so one of the things that ties us together is the mission and vision. So everybody's relating to each other, not on the basis of the size of their church. In fact, it was a little startling to me to realize, oh, you're, you're, you've got 18,000 people on a Sunday morning. And you're listening better than I am to these people that have only ever led a church of 5,000 people, right? And they're just numbers. It just represents leadership. Leadership is for the glory of God. It's not about large numbers or anything else, but that's the significance of leadership. But um, this is a picture of one of my professors. His name is uh, Dr. Ed Stetzer. He's a prominent writer in Christianity Today. He's a social commentator. He's written a lot of books. He was a vice president at Lifeway Leadership um, or at Lifeway Resources. Uh, when we are at Moody Church, he's the interim teaching pastor at Moody Church in Chicago, which has some history tied to D.L. Moody, so it's a pretty cool place to be. And, um, you know, uh, hanging out with the Philippines, um, the, 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 my brothers and sisters from the Philippines, selfies were very contagious. I took more pictures in the last two weeks than I did on my wedding day, <laughs> is, uh, is the way one pastor described it. And so, um, so this is me and uh, Dr. Ed Stetzer. Um, I was just, you know, right before I preached to, uh, no, just kidding, right before he, he preached there. Um, 
The next slide is, this is uh, Dr. Scott Moreau at the front of the classroom. He's one of the world's leading missiologists. So he studies the, uh, the contextualization of the gospel across the nations and missions. And um, it's just, and this is our class, and this was our setting, that was our home for a week, and we had another classroom for the first week. Uh, Dr. Scott Moreau uh, is, a, is an incredibly gifted man. Uh, and, and he really challenged us in a lot of ways. I'm going I'm to summarize. I'm going to give one thought from each class in just a minute once we get through these slides. Uh, we, there's a little museum on campus, and during our lunch break, we snuck over there one day. And uh, that is C.S. Lewis's wardrobe, the one that inspired Narnia, right? Like the one he played in as a kid. I looked, um, I looked between the coats that were in there. I did not see Narnia. I'm sad to report, but, you know, maybe if you make the journey, you've got a better imagination. Uh, I did see the Ark of the Covenant while I was there. Um, that was uh, the Ark of the Covenant right there um, during the 4th of July parade. That was the weirdest moment of the whole trip, I think, when um, the Indiana Jones fan club marched down Main Street in Wheaton. And they had, yeah, it was a strange moment. So I just wanted to share that with you. And no trip would be complete without nachos. And so here are my grad school nachos. Oh, it's a little stretched. They weren't stretched like that. I'm not sure. They were delicious. Uh, one of the, um, one of the, one takeaway from the first class, <laughs> um, one of the, the first week we, we, it was the intensive on leadership. The second week was on intercultural communication. Uh, in the leadership class, one of the things that I walked away with uh, that really impacted me is uh, the different kinds of problems that we encounter as, as individuals and as leaders. Uh, one of the books I read said that there are simple problems, complicated problems, and complex problems. And it defines it this way. It says to make a cookie, uh, a chocolate chip cookie, is a simple problem. You look at the recipe. You do what the recipe says. You do it how the recipe says to do it in the time frame that it says to do it in. You take it out, and you've got a cookie. It described a complicated problem as being launching a rocket. And uh, that surprised me because, uh, you know, we got a saying about being rocket scientists. But it said the reason that launching a, lock, uh, launching a rocket is a complicated problem is that there are many, many more steps, but it, you can calculate it. And A plus B does equal C. One plus two does equal three. And if you follow the steps, if you figure out the right connection of things, you can reproduce it time after time after time. You launch the rocket, you build and prep and launch it, you can do it. And that's why we have a successful space program, right? Is because we are able to get the same results time and time again. And then there are complex problems. Complex problems are anything having to do with people ever. Right? And they were saying, because you can't just plug in the numbers and do the math and come up with a formula and get the same results every single time. I don't even get the same results with myself every single time. Right? And so when you're leading uh, yourself or you're leading a small group of people or you're leading a large group of people, you're facing a complex problem because you can't assume the results based on the effort that you put into it because every person has their own response and a kind of a, almost a random response to the input that comes to them. Yeah. 
And so those are complex problems. And so to be effective leaders, we need to be desperate and open for the leadership of God in our lives so that we can respond to the complex problems that we face. And so if you feel overwhelmed by problems of people and you're like, I'd rather just launch a rocket than deal with this right now, then you're in good company because that's real life. Uh, and that's uh, just a small plug for our messages. Marriage message is Mary. Marriage is messy. Um, class that's coming up uh, next week. It's a, it's a panel. It's a dialogue. I encourage you to be a part of it. I encouraged you once before, if you're married or thinking about being married, uh, this is a good place for you. And I know it could be awkward to look at your spouse and be like, baby, I think we need to go to this panel. Because they'll be like, why do you think we need to go to the panel? <laughs> or even worse, that's right, we need to go to this panel. <laughs> right? And so to avoid all of those things, just say, hey, David said we need to go. And I'm just, I'm just doing what pastor said to do. And so let's go together. I don't think we need it, baby. I think we're good. But he said it would be helpful even if we're good. So I encourage you to do that. Uh, one of the other remarkable takeaways is that in my intercultural class, Dr. Scott Moreau has a collection of over 3,500 pictures of Jesus. And he started each day with a three-minute slideshow of pictures of Jesus. Um, what, but they were Jesus drawn from different cultures throughout history. And so there were Japan, Japanese Jesuses, and there were Chinese Jesus, and Native American Jesus, and American Jesus, and Greek Jesus, and Italian Jesus, and, you know, Spanish Jesus, and Latin, Aztec Jesus, and Latin American Jesus. And, you know, you're watching it, and, and for some of the people, for some of us, it was, it was really jarring. It was like, wait a second, Jesus doesn't look like that. Right? And then he put up a picture of what Jesus really looked like. And he was, a turn of the, he was at the, around the year zero in Palestine. He didn't look like the Jesus pictures that we normally look at. He was remarkably normal for a Palestinian at that time. I might, I might should just bring the picture next week and show you the picture that they showed. So, but you can just Google Palestinian. Well, don't do that. I'll bring the picture of Jesus. Next week, can somebody remind me to get the picture of Palestine Jesus? Um, but it was really, it was really, um, but here's the thing. It was a great reminder that first, God is outside of every culture. He's above and outside of it. And oftentimes, the first things we learn and the things that we enforce more strongly than, than the gospel is our culture. And it's like, okay, if you're going to come into this thing, this is how you have to do it. You have to wear your pants cuffed with your shirt untied. In some churches, you're supposed to leave the bottom button undone. So there. Right? In some places, you've got to do certain things, and the skirt has to be so long, and the sleeves need to be so long, and the pants have to be such a way, and, and there's so much culture around it. Right? Altar calls need to be done in such a manner in order to be, to be considered an altar call and to give people a proper opportunity. Right? So we put culture out way ahead of the love of God that gave his son. And so um, the second part of that, is that we all do need to hear the message in a way that resonates with our soul. And we do that by translating good theology into every culture. In that class, uh, I mentioned that we had Misha, uh, some, some pastors from China. Uh, he, said that, um, he said that when he 
came to faith, he came to faith through uh, missionaries from another nation. And um, that's a neat story on its own, and I'll share that at another time. But he said that as he was discipled by people from, every, from, from other nations, what happened is he, his, his faith lost touch with the culture of the Chinese people and his heritage. And so he was responding to something that he heard and got trained to listen for and trained to respond to that was out of touch with his culture. Right? And so... Um, he was realizing in this class that I need to make sure that I don't follow, that I don't go and take on the cultural aspects of these other, other nations and these other things, but, but I make sure that I'm applying the gospel to this culture. Does that make sense? And that's all of our responsibility in our various workplaces, in our neighborhood, is to make the gospel plain to our neighbors by contextualizing Jesus to them. And what you end up with is a Jesus that looks like you. Does that make sense? So in your mind, when you hear people talking about Jesus, you'll picture Jesus being like me, being like you. There was a historical Jesus who was a very specific man and lived a very specific way and looked a very, and, and, and was very specific. It was a man. It was a person. He lived. But by, by contextualizing the gospel, people will see Jesus through us in their culture. So if they were to go home and draw a picture of Jesus, it would look like their culture. Does that make sense? And it, you can't take it too far, and it can get offensive. Jesus is not your homeboy. Right? There were these Jesus is my homeboy shirts for a little while. Probably not your homeboy, but I get what you're aiming at. Right? And like Jesus with a big marijuana leaf behind him. Not sure that's, the, not sure that's what he would have been battling for, um, the, the cannabis industry however you feel about that. So now that we got the awkward things brought up, let's talk about money for the rest of today because that's what our sermon's on. But before we do that, um, I, was, I was bragging on y'all all week to, uh, to the people in my cohort. And so I was just hoping that you could say hello to them. And so, hey, cohort, this is, uh, this is Grace Covenant Church in Sterling. Can you say hello? I love you so much, cohort family, but I love them a lot. <laughs> and I'm happy to be back with them. See you in Manila. Thank you for that. All right. So we'll see if that sends. So uh, we've got a, yeah, there we go. Boom. All right. So, hey, uh, last week's Pastor Stephen Law kicked off a series for us on stewardship. And so I wasn't joking about talking about money. We're really going to do that today. And we're, we're going to talk about money, and we're not going to be ashamed about talking about money. Um, we're going to be talking about the purpose of money. Um, before I do that, I, I put a poll on last night before I hopped on my plane, and I asked this question on Facebook. I said, I need a bunch of songs that talk about money before 9 a.m. tomorrow morning. Can y'all help a brother out? And so I just want to share with you some of the feedback that I got in, within minutes of my response. Uh, there are, at this point, I don't know how many comments, uh, lots of comments. Money, money, money by Abba. Mo money, mo problems. I want to be rich by Callaway. Money, the Beatles, for the love of money, the OJs. A lot of talk about the OJs in this thread. She works hard for the money, Donna Summer. 
Mo money, mo problems. That was the notorious B.I.G. Put down again. Um, take the money and run. The Steve Miller band. Money changes everything. Cindy Loper, Lauper, money maker. Ludicrous. Yeah. Oops. That won't be the first one. Right? Money. Pink Floyd. Money talks. For the love of money, the OJ's again. I want to be rich by Callaway for the. Oh, okay, Gold Digger by Kanye West. <laughs> money talks by Rick James. Um, billionaire Travi McCoy. Money by AC. Money talks by ACDC. That one again. Um, oh, um, somebody better have my money. <laughs> by Rihanna. <laughs> don't look that up. If you, if you don't know why people are laughing, ask me and I'll tell you off to the side. Um, it's all about the Benjamins by Puff Daddy. I want to be a billionaire. Um, simply read, money's too tight to mention is apparently brilliant. That was my South African friend from the school of ministry. He's like, is brilliant. I just wish we used a bigger vocabulary here in the United States. Um, the love of money. She works hard for that. It looks like it started repeating after a little bit, how to be a millionaire. There we go. So, um, so it was really, really easy to come up with songs in our culture that point back to money. And what's funny is people like to talk about how the church is obsessed with money. So if you're a guest, I, this is kind of just an apologetic for why we're going to talk about money. Or if you've been here for a little bit, it's why we talk about money and take up an offering every week and why we carve out several weeks out of every year to talk about stewardship. It's, it's because the world is actually the one that's obsessed with money. If you want to know what the culture believes, we, we put our doctrine into music. That's from the, for the church for centuries. It's the same for our culture. But what we sing about is what we believe in about, and it's what we're living for. And so if you think about it, and if I challenged you to come up with a Christian song that talks about money, it's probably about people walking away from it. Silver and gold. Silver and gold. Yeah, it's probably about, it, it's a lot harder. Most people are like, oh, I got nothing. Right? Normally, it's, it's an exchange that takes place and that God is more valuable than any money and the, and the kingdom is more valuable than any, than any coin that I can scrape up or cash that I can make or, or better than Bentleys. And uh, <laughs> yeah, I'll stop. But um, so I want to I argue that the church isn't obsessed with money. Instead, our hearts are. And all the church has to do is bring it up to violate the placement of money in our hearts. And it challenges us and it, gets, it, it frustrates us and it, it troubles us. Um, today we're going to be looking in Deuteronomy chapter 8. Deuteronomy is the fifth book in the Bible. It completes the Torah. The Torah is, if you've ever heard of the Torah, it's the, it's the holy book that the, that the Jewish people look to and revere. It's, it's where the law was given. It's the account of creation. Um, and um, I want to just kind of bring you up to speed on where we are in the Bible at this point in the narrative. In Genesis, God is the, creation, uh, the God of creation and promise. 
In Exodus, he's the God of freedom and power. In Leviticus, he's the God of holiness and purity, and it's our proper response to him. In Numbers, he's the God of perseverance, and we see a ton of action, and it's coming up to this really pivotal moment where Moses is getting ready to hand everything over. And then in Deuteronomy, it's like everything, you know, so you're flying through. Genesis flies through creation, and Exodus flies through the release of the, of the, uh, the Hebrew people, and then you get to Deuteronomy, and it's like, ooh. And it just drops into this slow motion. And what happens in Deuteronomy is the law is regiven because God is preparing the people of, his, of, of the people of Israel, the Hebrew people, to go in and take the land that they were going to get. But He knew that their hearts need to be checked before they could receive the inheritance that He had prepared for them. And so it was kind of like that pep rally uh, with with my kids when they were younger. Before we went into a store, I would I would coach them. I was like, before we get out of this van. I got to make some stuff clear. Right. You will keep your hands in the carts. There are no emergency exits. You will not ask for anything. You will walk right behind me or hold my hand or touch the cart at all times. Right? <laughs> right? It was like, if we're going to go in, we got to go right. Because I don't want to smite you. <laughs> right? And, and same thing before dinner. It's like we'd, we'd have a family huddle. And I'd call the kids over. And I'm like, hey, look. Family huddle, you're not going to like what we're having for dinner tonight. <laughs> you're just not going to like it. It's going to be awful for you. And you're going to smile, and you're going to have a good attitude, and you're going to tell mommy that, thank you. Right. If you can't say, I love it, you're going to say, thank you for working so hard to make this meal for me today, mama. <laughs> right? We, hands in the middle. <laughs> Hermes on three. <laughs> One, two, three, break. You know, and then we walk up to the table, and we're like, now act right. Right? And, and so that's basically what God's doing in the book of Deuteronomy. He's like, okay, huddle up, y'all. We tried the Ten Commandments the first time, but y'all were having a party. You ignored me. Moses smashed it, and now he's in trouble, and now we had to redo everything. So let's get it right this time. I want to get you where you got to be, but if you're going to get where, you, where I want you to be, you're going to have to walk a certain way. And that's what we see um, in, in Deuteronomy throughout the book. It starts on the, uh, it, Numbers ends on the plains of Moab by the Jordan across from Jericho. And at the very end, all that's happened is a transition of the ministry of Moses to Joshua. And that wraps up the Pentateuch. And then they jump into Joshua and it takes off with action again. We're looking at Deuteronomy chapter 8, verses 11 through 18. So it's a little bit of scripture. This morning I'm reading from the NASB because uh, that's all I had available. Beware that you do not forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments and his ordinances and his statutes, which I am commanding you today. Otherwise, when you have eaten and are satisfied and have built good houses and lived in them, and when your herds and your flocks multiply and your silver and gold multiply and all that you have multiplies, then your heart will become proud and you will forget the Lord your God who brought you out from the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. He led you through the great and terrible wilderness with fiery serpents and scorpions and thirsty ground where there was no water. He brought water for you out of the flint, uh, rock of flint. In the wilderness, he fed you manna, which your fathers did not know, that he might humble you and that he might test you to do good for you in the end. Otherwise, you may say in your heart, my power and the strength of my hand has made me this wealth. 
but you shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who is giving you power to make wealth, that he may confirm his covenant, which he swore to your fathers as it is this day. This is God's word to us. Father, help us today to understand money well, to understand it properly with a kingdom understanding. But more than understanding the role of money in our lives, God, I ask that you would be elevated in our hearts and minds. We would be more in love with you and more mindful of who you are, of what you've done and why you did it when we leave here today. And we would carry that with us always. In Jesus' name, amen. I talked to one of my classmates about the text we were going to go over. I, I said, uh, I'm sharing from uh, Deuteronomy 8. I'm talking about remembering God. And he goes, oh, I thought that was the, the chapter about money. And I was like, exactly the point. <laughs> it's like, as soon as money gets involved, we tend to forget about God. Right? Like, we treat it like two separate things. It was the chapter on money. Because in it is that famous verse. It is the Lord your God who's given you the power to make wealth. Who knows that, right? Whoever heard the first part of that, don't forget the Lord your God. It's too far away from that. It's seven verses away and it feels so distant that, that even sometimes when we're done reading it, we forget that that's how it started. Right? Like, so I started by beware that you don't forget. By the time we got to the end of it, you might have heard a warning that you might be arrogant about it. But we all walked away going, he has given me the power to make wealth. That's time to go make some money. Good message. Let's go home. But it proves the point that as soon as we start talking about money, we, we can easily lose sight of God. But what we realize is that our greatest risk is not losing money or standing in the community, which is what most of us are concerned with, or getting a larger house, making more money. Or it's normally about getting more money or not losing the money that we have, but neither of those are the greatest risk. The greatest risk is that we lose sight of God while we're concerned with the things of money. It's all too easy to acknowledge that he's there, even that he's good, but not to obey and follow him. He says, don't forget him by not keeping his commandments, by not keeping his ordinances, by not keeping his statutes. And so if we, if we say that another way, it means that if you're not following the commandments, if you're not following the ordinances, and if you're not following the statutes, you've forgotten them. You know you've forgotten him when, you've known, when you're not doing any longer what he said to do. Or maybe worse, I, it's not that I've forgotten him. It's that I'm despising what he's called me to do. I'm despising who he's called me to be. I'm despising who he is, maybe. I know I've forgotten my wife if I start acting like I don't have a wife. You've forgotten your spouse if you start looking for eyes at the mall. You've forgotten your spouse if you start longing for the affection of another man. 
You've forgotten your spouse when, when, you, when you start to make decisions independent of your spouse and, and, and keeping distance between the two of you and you start living independently. We've forgotten God when we begin to live independently of how he's called us and, and drawn us and empowered us to walk close to him. Now, I understand I might have just ripped, some, ripped something out. Like I might have made things like really uncomfortable by illustrating challenges in marriage. And, and I just want to encourage you that that's why we've got the class next week. That's why we've got the panel, and it's going to be real. That's why it's not going to be online. <laughs> it's not going to be recorded. Because we need to talk about these real things, these real struggles, these real pains, so that we can walk in the fullness of the call that God has for us. God's built some reminders in for us, but uh, just if there, are, there are some nuances between commandments, ordinances, and statutes. In Exodus 20, 1 through 17, we see the Ten Commandments. Um, ordinances is oftentimes referred to as the case law, how to handle the stuff when it, when it comes up. Numbers 27, verses 1 through 11, has some ordinances. When this happens, handle it this way. When this happens, this is how you're supposed to deal with these things. And then the statutes, uh, that's customs. Uh, Deuteronomy 22.8 speaks to statutes. Um, you, don't, you don't have to get weird about the difference between it. It's basically when you're no longer hearing God's leading and responding faithfully, that's when you've strayed from him. So what is it for, for us today, right? We're, we, don't, we, don't have, we don't follow the ordinances and the statutes that are outlined in Leviticus, right? I'm not going to be mad at you if you're wearing polyester and cotton today, right? Your shirt has mixed, mixed fabric. We're not, that's not what we're, uh, that's not what God is calling us to walk with him in today. He's calling us to love him and to love one another and to do what comes out of that. He's calling us to walk closely to him, to hear his voice and respond in obedience. And sometimes responding in obedience means just simply calling somebody. Sometimes it means giving a lot of money. Sometimes it means giving a little bit of money. Sometimes it means giving a lot of time. Sometimes it's a little bit of time. But we're called to follow him. and to, and to we, we have a, a value in every nation of, of lordship. And it's basically, we, it's, it's cool. One of the things I realized during, during this course was that while we, while we say that lordship is our value and that it means that Jesus is king and he's sovereign over all and we acknowledge him and we follow him as such, we haven't said exactly what that means for every context. Because you can't write a book long enough. And what God calls J.C. Shirah to do is going to be different than what he calls me to do. There are going to be remarkable similarities and there are going to be things that neither of us can watch or say or do or manners in which we can't behave and manners in which we should behave. But then there are all these other things, right? Like I feel free to leave church today and go get a big old fat plate of nachos. Somebody else might not feel so free, right? Somebody else might have a conviction that, man, I'm, God's calling me not to eat this way or to be this way or to watch this thing or you ever been at the water cooler and you're like talking about a show and the person's like yeah and it gets real awkward because they don't watch it 
if, if you don't have something that God's called you to do that he hasn't called some, that, that makes you feel isolated yet, you're probably not listening well enough yet. Because he's more than pleased to call us out by ourselves so that we're dependent on him. Um, but he tells us, he, he's given us these wonderful reminders. So we don't, we don't want to forget who he is. That he is the king of kings. He is the Lord of lords. He is the sovereign. He's the one who was before and the one who will be after. The alpha, the omega. He's eternal, living outside of all things. And he stepped into time for us for a moment and and now reigns again at the right hand of the Father, right? So like we, we serve this God who is incredibly huge and massive and all things belong to him. It's good to serve a God that everything belongs to. It gives me a certain sense of peace and freedom. That my life belongs to him, resources belong to him, and I don't have to doubt, does he have enough? Can he pull this off for me? We need to remember what he's done. He protected them, and, and he outlined some of the ways that God protected the, the, the Hebrews as is just an encouragement to them in verse 15. He led you through the great and terrible wilderness with its fiery serpents and scorpions. He provided for them. You see that in verses 15 and 16, that he brought water out of a rock for them. I'm sure they felt like something when you strike a rock with a, with a stick and water comes out of it you probably feel some kind of way, right? Like I feel some kind of way if I say a word the way I meant to say it, right? Like I was struggling to say statutes because my, I'm like, nailed it, right? Like how more awesome would you feel striking a rock and having water come out of it? How easy would it be to be like, I was pretty impressive, right guys? Like, I mean, God is pretty good, but did you see that water? Did you see that rock? Did you see me? Ah, this stick right here. I'm the man. Maybe I'm just more sinful than you. (laughs) But it's God who provided. He provided a manna that the fathers didn't know about. Bread showed up on the ground. That's pretty awesome. And some of us feel like, well, God's never, bread's never showed up on the ground in my front yard. Well, Maybe you missed it. In that refund that came back bigger than you expected. Maybe you missed it in the car problems you haven't had. (laughs) Like all this stuff keeps happening to me. There's a lot that hasn't happened to you. It's that refund you didn't see coming. That bill that came in lower than you expected. That extra french fry at the bottom of the bag. (laughs) Right? Manna from heaven. The Lord hath provided. Take it back to the King James for that extra french fry. Some of y'all might be here this morning and you're, you're struggling to see what it is that God has done for you. And you're wrestling and it's difficult. And you're like, I just don't see God's provision in my life. I want to encourage you that 
we know the reason for that right here. It's so that he might test you to do good for you in the end. For some of us, our greatest test will be having very little. Whether it's for, for a season of life or see, for your entire life, you may have little. For others of us, your test is going to be having much. And you'd be mistaken to think that either one of them isn't a test. See, our mindset is, I need to go from having nothing to having much because that means I passed the test. That's not the test. Having much is not the test. Remembering the Lord. Remembering our Father in heaven. Not forgetting the Lord your God. That's the test. If anything, when the money increases, the test is just, you just went from 101 to 401. You've advanced to another level of testing and, and the stakes are higher in this test because now you don't have the excuses anymore. Oh, I'd do all that stuff if I had the money. Now you got it. Any one of us in this room, regardless of your financial situation, has more than 99% of the world that has ever existed. Just by virtue of living in this area and having the resources to get here this morning speaks to the great wealth that you have and that we have together. We have a great amount of responsibility. You know, I don't, I don't know. We did the announcement about kids, uh, about the sponsorships, right? And we're trying to sponsor 20 kids. Those gifts, it's not like they got shoes. It's not like they're going to get new shoes in September and then they're going to get Christmas shoes in December. Those are their shoes, like for the year, until they outgrow it and they pass them to each other. Right, so when we think about, you know, Christmas and, and you know, it's like, oh, this will be good. They got their birthdays and they've got these other holidays and then just the random trip because they didn't, you know, they behaved. <laughs> That's their gift for the year. I, I hope we can sponsor all 20 kids. He says, but you should remember the Lord your God, for it's he who is giving you great power, giving you power to make wealth, that he may confirm his covenant, which he swore to your fathers, as it is this day. We want to remember why he did it. Why? Why did God set us up in this way? Why did he test us? Why did he, why did he then give us the power to make wealth? Why is his interest in blessing us? What is this interest in blessing us? Have you ever been uncomfortable with the idea that somebody wanted to bless you? Or somebody blessed you so generously that you felt uncomfortable? That's how we should feel with the blessing of God. A little bit more like, I don't, I don't deserve this. Then that's right. That's right you did. You better do it again because the bills are coming next month. You better do it. Should be a little bit more like, my God, why would you be mindful of me? 
when I'm so quick to forget about you, when I'm so quick for my heart to stray from you, when I'm so quick to give myself credit for the things that you've done for me. Why he did it? He did it because he loves us. He loved Abraham. He loved Isaac. He loved Jacob. He loved Moses. He loves his people. And he loves to see us thrive and flourish and take his image over the face of the earth, carrying with him the righteous rule of his kingdom of love and honor of righteousness, of justice. That's why he did it. I think sometimes we make God so small and and we're like, he did it because I'm great. He wants to give me stuff because I'm awesome. But we lose sight of the fact that the reason that he does this is because it's him who's awesome. How awesome to, to, to come down and generously lavish things on us and to desire great things. You know, we have a hard time desiring good things for each other, and we don't really owe each other anything. Yeah. It was, it, was that too awkward, or did you not understand it? Awkward? Didn't understand it? Andrew's as selfish as I am. Yeah. Right? Like, we have a hard time wanting the best for each other, and there's no real offense between us. Right? Like somebody in the room gets a promotion and they, they start making big money and then all of a sudden you're like, well, I should be getting that. <laughs> or I just got a big promotion so I don't want them to get a promotion because I want my promotion to be bigger than their promotion. Nobody else? Okay. I just want to say that, <laughs> that the scale of God, if, if our scale is, you know, somewhat balanced, The scale of God is completely unbalanced. And he's saying, hey, you don't deserve any of this. And I want to share all of it with you. And I want you to look amazing because I'm amazing. And I want you to use your amazing like I use my amazing to make other people amazing. And that's why I'm going to entrust you with this so that that when you get so that if you have these resources and if you come to this place where it's, there's plenty, you don't lose sight of the fact that I want you to use it the way that I use what's mine. Which is for his glory, not your glory. I'll offend you one last time. God's primary interest is not, uh, is not in making us incredible. It's making him incredible. And that bothered me to hear when I heard it for the first time. That his primary interest was in his own righteousness. I'm like, no, he died for me. (laughs) Not for himself. He didn't need to die for himself. Then I realized the reason he died for me so that he would be lifted up and glorified and honored as righteous and holy as as he is, as he already was, I just didn't realize it. So family, if you have very little this morning or you have much or you find yourself in one of the categories trying to get to the other, that's your test to not forget the Lord your God.
to be mindful of the great things or to be mindful of who he is first. To be mindful of the great things that he's done on your behalf. And to be mindful of why he did it so that we can serve him and lift him up in a way that, that makes him beautiful to a sick and dying world. Amen? Amen? Father, in the name of Jesus, we come to you with humble hearts, realizing this morning that we think too much about ourselves. We think too much about our plans for money and our desires for it. I ask that you would arrest our hearts by your Holy Spirit, that you would stir our affection for your presence. You would awaken, or you would awaken in us a desire, a longing to see righteousness fulfilled first in our lives and throughout the world. We thank you for the remarkable much that you've given us this morning. God, for those of us in need, we ask that you would you would first stir our affection for you, but then, God, we ask that you would bring resources There's anybody here this morning and you just you've been far from God maybe you've never even been close to him and you want to you want to come to him today and just to, to choose to follow him you want to make a decision to follow Jesus today can you can you raise your hand so I can pray with you see that hand in the back you can put your hand down once you put it up you raised your hand, you could just pray this prayer with me. It's a simple prayer. God, this morning I surrender. I commit to following you. Teach me to follow you all the days of my life. I turn from the things that I know to be sin and I choose to follow you today in Jesus' name. Amen. If that's you and you raised your hand, uh, talk to somebody today about the decision that you're making and what it means to you. Uh, if you didn't raise your hand, uh, but God's doing something in your heart, you can come up and talk to people up here after the service, or you could talk to really anybody else in here and, and start that conversation in your journey with Jesus. Amen. Good to see you. Love you guys.